There's a ski resort in California that reckons it's unaffected by climate change, except that when others have no snow, Mammoth Mountain will benefit from being the highest resort in the USA with metres of snow. They've got coverage from November through to the following September. Helen Hayes speaks with Michael Vanderhurst, the Vivid Mammoth, on what to do, when and where to go in and around Mammoth, which is also a gateway to Yosemite National Park. Well, today we're talking to Michael Vanderhurst on Travel Writers Radio. Now, Michael comes from Mammoth Lakes in California. Mammoth is known by skiers, but it is an all-year-round destination, and we're going to find out why today. So, hello, Michael. Thank you, Helen. I'm I'm very excited about being here, and I appreciate you having me as a guest. Well, why wouldn't I? You're a damn good guy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm 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 lucky enough to to talk about one of the best places on the planet. Well, you you weren't born there, so you moved there from somewhere else. And what was it that that drew you and your family to Mammoth? Well, the family had not um, come about quite yet, and my wife and I were living in the San Francisco Bay Area. We had both started careers in the tech, uh, the tech industry, which um, is uh, you know very lucrative, but also very very demanding uh, on your time and, um, and 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 some of the other commitments you may have in life, and so. My wife and I were really questioning if that was going to be our final destiny, and over a couple of bottles of wine, over maybe a three-month period, we kind of put together the old positive and negative list of what we would like out of our our ultimate uh, dream location, and uh, we started looking around, and we found that Mammoth Lake checked just about every single box we had, and... Um, we did the leap of faith and moved there without any uh, employment um, being guaranteed to us. And luckily enough, we cashed out of the San Francisco Bay Area pretty rich. Uh, so we were able to, to buy a house uh, right away and then figure out uh, what we wanted to do for a living. So out of all that, we have three kids now, and we've been there for about 20 years. Well, that's fantastic. Obviously, a very good decision. <laughs> that's for sure. So with Mammoth, you've got um, the ski resort, which is probably the main thing Australians know it for. So tell us a bit about the skiing there. And also, this season, we we have to talk about this season, with the incredible amount of snow you have had. Now, Australians, we do get snow, obviously, but we don't get anywhere near the amount that you get. So give us some idea of how much snow you've had and what it's like to live in a place with that much snow. Yeah, so um, Mammoth Mountain, uh, which is our ski resort, sits right in, in the middle of the town, right in the town boundary. So the town is called Mammoth Lake, and the ski resort resort is called Mammoth Mountain. Now, Mammoth Mountain normally has one of the longest ski seasons in, in the USA. Uh, we normally open for skiing the first Thursday in November, and on normal years, we'll ski through the end of the month of June. On big years, we'll ski until the 4th of July. Uh, this winter that we are currently still living in, in, in Mammoth, uh, broke all the records on the books for um, a cumulative snowfall. So this year, we will be skiing through the month of August, and most likely closing the first weekend in September, which is a very famous American holiday called Labor Day weekend. Um, we have 
we have at and currently have the most snow of any ski resort on the planet. Uh, this was the biggest year we've ever had. And to give you any idea, if you can kind of visualize this, we to date have had a little over 24 meters, that's meters of snow that has fallen in, in the ski resort. So it is. Uh, it was a prodigious amount of snow. Uh, it kept myself and my three teenagers very busy digging out the um, the house. We actually had to dig the roof out twice, and we, we live in a second, a two-story home, and all of our ground floor windows and all of our second floor windows were below the snow line for months on end, so we had no natural light coming in, and the kids and I had to shovel the roof twice just because the snow loads up on the roof were so enormous. Everyone in town was at danger of having their roofs um, collapse in. So we were we were quite busy uh, digging everything out. If you came to my house right now, Helen, uh, even though we are in the month of May, I have snow berms on either side of my driveway that are probably 10, 11 meters high still right now. So we'll be holding on to that snow for a while. Kind of the cool things that make Mammoth as a ski experience stand apart is, at the end of the day, number one thing is going to be the weather. Um, it is a California ski resort when it's all said and done. So what that means is, besides all that snow that we get, we also average 300 days of sunshine a year. So the chances of you getting a bluebird powder day or a bluebird groomer day in Mammoth are insanely high. It's also one of the highest resorts in terms of elevation. Uh, the town of Mammoth, where I live, sits at about 2,400 meters, and our ski mountain just goes from there. So we go up to about 3,400 meters. So basically, our town is the same elevation as the top of Whistler, and then we have a mountain going going up from there. And that really, really, to date, has insulated Mammoth from the devastating effects of climate change, um, you'll see a lot of ski resorts around the world, especially Europe, that have suffered uh, the last couple of years because of, uh, of their low elevation and the effects of climate change. Um, Mammoth is going to be one of the last ones standing because we're so high, because of where we sit in the Sierra Nevada mountains. So as sad as, as that narrative is, it's, it's probably going to really, really affect Mammoth um, in terms of our visitation numbers only going up. Wow, that's just, I'm just trying to picture that snow. I mean, that's just incredible for Australians. It's almost like you're living in an igloo. <laughs> just that amount of snow. And you must be pretty muchly having to dig out the driveway. Absolutely. And again, so much. having three teenagers has paid off. Well, that's good. Now, turning to the rest of the year, you've got Mammoth Lakes is a bit of a giveaway. You've got a lot of lakes, and they're just so pretty. The scenery around Mammoth Lakes is so gorgeous. Tell us about some of the stuff that you can do on the lakes. You've got fishing, you've got Mono Lake, which has a bit of a story, of course. And what are some of the other activities you can do on the lakes? And then, of course, we must touch on your proximity yeah, to Yosemite. So Mammoth Lakes is a lot like any other ski resort in, in North America where uh, it's really a resort that has two stories. And I just kind of gave you the winter story. Our summer story is all about um, outdoor activities and recreation. So if someone is looking to go mountain biking or hiking or fishing, uh, stand-up paddle boarding, um, horseback riding, all of the kind of activities that you would associate with a mountain resort uh, in the summer are going to be available to you in Mammoth. 
Now, the reason it's called Mammoth Lake, plural, is we don't have one big lake that we're kind of built around, for example, like Lake Tahoe is. We have seven lakes inside the town boundaries, and all seven lakes are connected to each other, either by waterfall or by river or by stream. So one lake drains into the next, drains into the next, drains into the next. Now, that's inside the town boundary. If you were to leave the town of Mammoth Lakes anywhere within a 30-kilometer radius around the town, you can find over 100 lakes. Small lakes, big lakes, popular lakes, secluded lakes, lakes that you'd have all to yourself. There's many, many options around uh, the area for, for recreation uh, as easy or as, uh, as, as intense that you might want to make it. We also are super close to Mono Lake. Mono Lake is about 30, 30 minutes away by car from the town of Mammoth Lakes. And Mono Lake is a state park of California. It's a very, very big lake. But really what uh, separates Mono Lake from a lot of the other lakes in North America is Mono Lake is a saltwater lake kind of like the Dead Sea or the Great Salt Lake in Utah, it is over a million years old, which makes it one of the oldest bodies of water on the planet. And it is surrounded on the entire shoreline by these really, really bizarre uh, salt towers. They're called Tupa Towers. And they've been there for, like I said, darn near a million years. And it just gives it an otherworldly kind of feel. It is, uh, for somebody who might be into photography, it is an absolutely must-check-the-box kind of experience. And it's a little bit more of a spiritual kind of uh, destination. Um, although it is a state park, it, it definitely has kind of a spirit. You'll feel spiritually connected uh, to, to the to Mono Lake. The other state park that's about an hour. No, I was just going to say one of your favorites, Helen, that, that I know you and I love talking about. Go ahead. Is, um, there's another state park that's about an hour away from us called Bodie. And Bodie is the official ghost town of the state of California. Uh, the backstory with Bodie is in the 1880s, it was a city of 10,000 people that was wildly, wildly uh, prosperous for all the, all the gold mines that were producing in the area. Bodie was bigger than San Francisco in the 1880s. So it was really, really thriving. Around 1920, almost all the gold mines stopped producing and within six months, all 10,000 people moved away because they were chasing the next gold strike. They kind of had gold fever. So they left the entire town behind, and that means there's about 200-something buildings still standing. The school still has desks and books and globes. Uh, houses all have furniture still in them. The stores all have uh, bottles and cans on the shelves. It literally feels like people were just there the day before. Um, it is a state park, and it is protected, but it's meant to be a, a very much an interactive experience. You're encouraged to go inside the buildings to see how people used to live in the Wild West. Now, what you're not going to find in Bodie is you're not going to find any ice cream parlors or any keychain stores or any actors pretending to be gunfighters. It, it, there's no cheesiness. There's no, there's no manufactured experience whatsoever at Bodie. It is the real deal. Like it is an honest to gosh ghost town. Well, I can vouch for that because um, my kids still talk about the day we went to Bodie. And one of the things that I learned when I was there is that you must not take anything away with you because otherwise you you yeah, might be for bad luck. Yeah, it's the same. It's What's the, same the story kind of, with that? Um, 
uh, folklore that they have on Hawaii. Uh, both places are, uh, they have the superstition that if you take, if you take anything like a rusty old nail on the ground or a piece of, of lava from the whole, from, from the volcano, that, um, the spirits of that, of that destination will, um, unleash, uh, bad luck and misfortune, whether it's physical or financial upon you, and you will suffer the wrath of, uh, either Bodhi, Bodhi or in Hawaii, it'd be Pele. Um, it, just a side note, this is an honest to God true story, Helen. I, I won't say this person is, was a friend of mine, but I did know somebody who knew they were about to get sacked from a job, and they purposely picked up an artifact of Bodhi and snuck it onto their employer's desk, intending to unleash the bad fortune and um, had bad juju on that person. And it kind of happened in reverse. The person who got sacked, like they... Uh, crashed their car. I think he broke his leg within a week. Like all kinds of things went sideways for him, and he realized it's because he was trying to sabotage a former employer. So he snuck back in there and grabbed that artifact and, and got it back up to Bodie. And we we don't really keep in touch, but uh, I think things have turned for the better for him. At least it couldn't have gotten any worse. How about that? That's that's true. Now, just before um, we finish, we better talk about you are the gateway to Yosemite, and also you've got like Devil's Post Pile, things like that. And we can't go without talking about the hot springs on on the on the plane out there. It's just so magnificent. Yosemite National Park is a bucket list destination for anyone uh, from any any destination. Probably the most famous national park in the U.S. Yosemite and Yellowstone are kind of one and two. We are 45 minutes from the east entrance to Yosemite um, by car. That would be a spring, summer, autumn access. Uh, in the winter, that road closes due to the uh, the amount of snow it gets. But from May normally through early November, that road is open, and you can easily get to Yosemite either by your own car, or we do have public transportation that connects the town of Mammoth Lakes to Yosemite National Park. So there is a way to get there without having to drive. And uh, Yosemite is just magnificent. I think everyone is probably familiar with the images they've seen online or on documentaries on TV. It truly is one of the most beautiful national parks in the U.S., and it's definitely the crown jewel of the national parks within the state of California, no question about it. Now, the hot springs, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Helen. The hot springs in the area are are pretty fun. Um, The reason they are in existence is Mammoth Mountain is a dormant volcano. So it is not extinct, but it is not active. It's dormant, which means the hot spot that used to feed the lava up through Mammoth has moved from underneath Mammoth Mountain. So it's no longer at risk of erupting, but it has caused the entire area around Mammoth to be very geothermically active. So we have lots and lots of hot springs in the area. I would say probably 150 plus. Some of them are very developed where you could drive a car to a, a boardwalk and walk out in the boardwalk and soak in the hot springs. Some of them are very, very undeveloped. So you would just have to know where hot water is coming into a river and then you get in the cold water and get as close to the warm water source that you can stand and, and soak away. But the ones that I think you're referring to, Helen, are very famous. They're called wild willies. Easy to find, easy to get to. You're soaking in this kind of, uh, it's a naturally uh, spring-fed man-made tub 
and you're overlooking the Sierra Nevada mountains, and if you catch it at either sunrise or sunset, and let's say you're there with some friends or somebody special in your life, and maybe there's a couple of cold beers or a bottle of wine, it's a, a pretty amazing way to end the day. Well, I can vouch for that. I've definitely done that. That's, that's really cool. Reporter Helen Hayes was speaking with Visit Mammoth's Michael Vanderhurst. VisitMammoth.com if you want to know more. This is the Travel Writer Show on J Air 88 FM in Melbourne.